Hello and welcome to the PE Insights Podcast, conversations about physical education with me, Nathan Walker. Thank you for joining me. You're very, very welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as we delve into another insight around physical education. Hi everyone, uber excited about this one and really, really looking forward to speaking to Faith Newton on today's PE Insights podcast. Faith is a children's occupational therapist with more than 10 years experience of working in schools. She has two autistic children, so she understands the challenges that families of children with needs face. Her latest book on inclusive PE for SEND children helps teachers to make their PE lessons more accessible for students with additional needs. Really, really looking forward to this one. Uh, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy this episode. Faith, welcome to the PE Insights Podcast. Thanks, Nathan. It's great to be here. And it's actually my first ever podcast. Time to be a hey. guest. So, yes, there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, really looking forward to speaking to you today, Faith. Um, let's start where we start for every episode. So, tell us a bit about your journey so far. Yeah, so I guess it's quite different from a lot of your other podcast guests in that I'm not a PE teacher. Um, I was quite academic at school. Um, I was like a junior life, you know, from the everyone with drama. I loved reading, um, but I didn't like PE. Um, and so when I thought about careers, I was thinking about being OT because my mum's got cerebral palsy. So from okay. quite a young age, I was introduced to kind of disability and the world of inclusion, I guess. Um, mm. Anyway, I did work experience when I was 16 and it was awful. <laughs> like, right. Basically, it was just giving out commodes and toilet seats all week. And I just thought, <laughs> this is not what I want to do with my life. But I kind of knew that OT was more than that. I just couldn't quite get my finger on it right then. Um, So I decided to go and do an English literature degree, which I really loved. And then I ended up through work in Afghanistan for three and a half years. Wow. Yes, which was very different. So I worked for an NGO. Uh, We set up a kindergarten. We did teacher training. And while I was there, I visited kids with cerebral palsy. And I just knew that I had to go back and be an OT because I could see these kids kind of sat there and all this potential they had, but they just didn't get the stimulation that they needed and the education that Mm. they needed. Um, So I came back to the UK, did an occupational therapy master's, and that kind of started me um, as an OT, really. Um, Wow. Yes. So... I, my first job was in writing, <laughs> um, yeah. again, on and off the toilet, um, very procedural. Mm. And then thankfully, yeah. I got a job with um, a children's um, clinic, and that was going to schools. And so I would go to 25, 30 different schools. Probably kind of how a lot of your listeners meet an OT is that they come in a class, take the child out, and return them an hour later with some recommendations. Mm. Um, so that was what I was doing before I got into all this kind of inclusive PA, inclusive school stuff. Amazing. What an experience. What a journey as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm with that experience and your, your background, I'm really interested in what you're going to say today about physical education. So why is physical education important to you 
and to young people. Now, you alluded to maybe your experiences in school weren't that positive. So have they changed now? And, and why is PE important to you and young people? Yeah, it's a really big question. Um, I think there's a big divide between our mind and our bodies. And you see it all over mm. society. I mean, even just now, you know, we're on Zoom. And so, mm. you know, we're kind of divided in that way. And as an OT, I would get called into a classroom and I'd be asked to deal with the kind of four or five-year-old boy on the carpet who couldn't sit still. And part of me was just like, he just needs to move. The whole class mm. need to move. One time I was observing a child in a class. They'd been sat still for about half an hour. And these were like maybe six or seven year olds. And um, yeah, they started rocking. We had pencils up the nose. We had asking to go to the toilet. You know, every kind of possible need mm. was on show. And I just thought we're medicalizing just a fundamental human need, which is to move. Um, so mm. I think my kind of interest in PE has come from movement and I know I'm still not a big sports person but I enjoy moving I enjoy you know mm. stretching I enjoy swimming and if I think back to my childhood yes I hated PE but my best childhood memories were playing cricket in the park with my dad or going on a hike with my granddad mm. or building a den it wasn't sat still it was doing stuff um yeah and so who's feeling great in movement is so important and i think as pe teachers you guys have an amazing role in a school to really embrace the whole child and not separate them from actually we just want your mind sit still be quiet <laughs> you know you guys mm. have the opportunity to embrace and include the whole child in a really holistic way that's part of what it means to be human i think because um, if we're alive, we move, whether it's an eye blink or whether it's, you know, raising your hand because you're three move, we move. So movement's really important. Yeah. yeah, that's a really powerful message. Um, so I think what you've kind of unpacked there is that physical education is more than sport, which is great. And that's a, is a, is a message that people are, you know, have listened to and, and I've heard. So why, you know, when do you think movement becomes um what am i trying to say movement is is important for everyone yeah when when do you think that opinion changes in a child's life well i think it's really interesting if you look at a three or four year old you know we just talked about peppa pig lads weren't we before we came on yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. roller coasters and you know my three-year-old mm. she's jumping off you can't keep her still and then at some point um i think you know kids have to sit still more and more at school and then a lot of children are really enjoying screen-based activities at home and right. suddenly you get competition you get what Vicky talked about a few episodes ago about that self-consciousness about the body happens yeah. and body image. Um, and I think we go from that kind of carefree, unself-conscious joy of movement for movement's sake to being self-conscious or feeling like performance or that we're measured or judged. Um mm as to how good we are and i know like when i was at school yeah. you know you had the sporty kids and the not sporty yeah. kids you don't say that about two and three year olds they just all move yeah so do you think do you think that happens in secondary schools or do you think that happens 
at some point in primary school. I'm just trying to get your expertise as to, you know, you've worked with lots of children. When yeah. does that start to happen in their journey? I think it really varies. So I've worked with some um, children that are maybe six or seven and they're very self-conscious about their movement. And that could be because they have developmental coordination disorder or otherwise known as dyspraxia. And so movement is just Mm. really hard. And so they tend to trip over, they struggle with PE. And every time they don't succeed, they get a little bit less... um, confident and a little bit less kind of willing to try so it could be down yeah. to specific needs um mm-hmm. and some of its personality you know if you get kind of somebody very confident the class clown they might go for it you get somebody maybe like how i was shy good at academics don't want to be embarrassed so i think it can really vary from quite young through to secondary school but i would imagine kind of year five six i think is when a lot of children get more kind of um self-conscious and aware yeah and is that is that maybe in line with when schools tend to maybe introduce more sports and move away from movement and fundamental movement skills obviously primary curriculums there's variety in different primary curriculum but you know sometimes games are introduced or or sports specific activity or activities are introduced in year five and year six and maybe that correlates with a change in what physical education is to them yeah i think so um yeah i think you know you go from having reception year one and it's kind of move across the room as a crocodile and you know swim like an otter and Mm. it's kind of about traveling around the room or let's explore this to let's follow kind of structured games with rules um, at the same time, puberty is happening earlier and earlier to our young people. So you've got kind of, you know, kids yeah, developing. Um, you've got kind of other priorities going on for them, maybe with after school activities, um, anxiety, mm. things like that's happening younger and younger. So it's just a lot of kind of different, different things, I think. Yeah. Um, There's so. lots to think about, isn't there? So what you must be one of the only people I think I've spoken to that hated physical education or disliked physical education, maybe hate's a strong word, that has ended up writing a book about physical education. I might be wrong. I probably am wrong. I'm often wrong. But what led you to to writing the book about physical education, which is, I think, going to become a really powerful resource for PE teachers? Thanks, Nathan. Well, it's funny you say that because when I tell my friends I've written a book on PA, they look really confused. <laughs> They're kind of like, what? We never thought you'd write a book on PA. And I say, yeah, I never thought I would either. Um, so, yeah, about a couple of years ago, um, I was on maternity leave and my brain was kind of whirring. And I thought about writing a book uh, kind of about movements. And so I had a chapter yeah. on playtime a chapter on PE and a chapter on the classroom. And as I wrote, I realised I actually had three books in there, not one book. So I sat in Costa and I just thought, okay, I've got about 5,000 words on each. Which one do I start with? And for some reason, I chose PE. Um, So my next move, um, some Facebook Facebook sites that I'm part of, because I should say I have two children who are autistic as well. So I kind of get Mm. the personal parent side. Um, So I was on a parent support Facebook group and I just said, can anyone tell me about their kids' experiences of PE? And I was just overwhelmed by the response. I just got so many people saying... um, 
my kid hates PA, they make themselves sick before PA, they hide in the toilets, um, they feel really left out. It was really heartbreaking, actually. Um, and I got a few really positive responses saying, my son scores brilliant, they really include him, it's fab. Um, but I just felt really compelled by those stories to write this book mm. and to try and make a difference. And I'm not a PE expert. Like your listeners are the experts, you guys are the experts, but I have some of the inclusion OT disability hat on. You guys have the PE hat and I hope that together we can make a change for these kids. Absolutely. How powerful is that? So without giving too much away from your book, <laughs> because obviously we want people to read it, what might some of the key messages be that, you know, what are some of your key messages for PE teachers to be including in their practice? Sure. I think it starts off with understanding the challenges. I think, you know, like when you start learning to drive a car, it's like really overwhelming, mm. isn't it? And you have to think about mm-hmm. every single thing you do. And now you probably just drive and you don't even, you know, you're chatting, you're listening to music, whatever. And I think, you know, that we're so used to getting dressed <laughs> and undressed. We're so used to throwing and catching a ball. We're so used to, you know, some of the fundamental movement skills. We don't realise just how hard it is for some of our children and young people. So mm. the first thing, I spend two chapters of the book just breaking down um, dodgeball and changing for PE and really looking at what are the physical challenges, what are the emotional challenges. Um, so if I give you a few examples, so say dodgeball, first of all, you have to be able to kind of be aware of where you are in the environment, where mm-hmm. the ball is in the environment, where the other kids mm-hmm. are in the environment, where the walls yeah. are, otherwise it all goes horribly wrong. You have to be able to jump, dodge, balance, throw, catch. At the same time, you're dealing with all the sensory input, like the lights, the smell, the noises. And then on top of that, you have the emotional side of, is my team winning? Am I gonna get caught out? I hate waiting on the bench, it's not fair. You know, and they're just a handful of the demands. And we just think, oh, a simple game of dodgeball, brilliant. <laughs> but for some mm. children, it's nearly impossible because they have difficulties with any of these aspects or several of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. So how do we how do we manage that? How do we support those learners in managing those complex things that they have to deal with? Sure. I mean, so yes, understanding is the first thing. And then I think giving students choice, whatever possible. I know it's not always practical, but wherever you can, try and give an element of choice. So it could be... Um, you know, let's choose what choose what type of ball you want to work with in a pair. You know, it could be a hard ball, it could be a soft ball, big ball, small ball. And so they can control the kind of challenge. Um, it could be choice, probably it's a colleague, you know, you can choose which warm-up, go and choose a circuit and you can choose that. And it's just giving students some control and some, um, it kind of helps them to be able to um, succeed because not all of them are obviously at the same level or scale. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to use the same equipment, it's gonna be easy for some and really hard for others. Um, so I think trying to give choice um, as much as you can is really important. And with that, mm-hmm. you know, the STEP acronym, what can you change about the space? What can you change about the yeah. task? 
what can change about the environment and the equipment and the people to be thinking of that's really powerful thinking okay you know there's a few kids that aren't engaging in this at all what can i change about one of those elements um and kind of practice doing that and ask them you know ask the class ask the students you know how can we change this um what can we adapt to make it more fun more easy harder um so i think choice is really important as well okay and you you're the expert so you you'll know more than me you know depending on the need of the learner might they have difficulties with choosing the right level of challenge for them um is that because obviously we we want we want to challenge all learners we want them to be you know engaged enthused and challenged by what they're doing and we also like the idea of giving them choice and voice but we make the assumption that perhaps they can do that they can pick the right level of challenge for them how do you how do we manage that that's a really good question i think for some children it's easier than others i think for a lot of us that comes from experience doesn't it and i think if it's okay Mm. to say you don't have to pick this one thing you can pick it if it doesn't work swap it for something else you know let's experiment um Mm. because you're right some children won't have the experience to know what's best for them um Mm -hmm. and some may be overwhelmed with a choice so for those children it could be narrowing it down to okay you can pick a or b rather than a b c d e um or it might be that you go up you know say which racket do you want to go with first or which ball so they're not having to go Mm -hmm. in push past 25 other kids select the ball from like a big bucket Mm -hmm. because again all of that can be really overwhelming um yeah yes i guess this is where it gets tricky because you have children with like coordination difficulties um that struggle with the kind of basic physical skills and so for Mm -hmm. them they really need the repetition they need the choice the adaptation and then you get the students with the kind of um, social communication difficulties and for them the choice and the language can be difficult um Mm. but i think you can manage both and that's kind of what i hope to do from my book to say i'm not giving you 30 different things for 30 different kids it is um Mm. thinking how do we simplify language for everybody how do we give some choice for everybody and how can we um show that it's normal to give kind of adaptations it's not just kind of johnny who needs a special racket actually everybody can choose a few different rackets there are rackets there are everyone can choose a different ball and kind of normalize it Mm. yeah normalization of of adaptive tasks and challenges i suppose yeah great so what happens again this is me being curious i'm not trying to catch you up here it's kind of disability we've got learners that um we've included in our lesson and the environment has become the stimulus there's too much stimulation in the environment has become you know uncontrollable unmanageable for them how do we adapt our lesson to suit their needs at that point without making it look like pulling them out from that context because they can't do you get what i'm saying we don't want to you know if you you have to pull um bobby or or anna out of that lesson because it's become too much for them what can we do for kids how can we manage that situation best from your perspective 
Yeah, I think there's two things. I think it's the preventative and there's the kind of in the movement crisis <laughs> dealing with mm. it. So obviously the best thing is to try and station and so overwhelmed in the first place. So I'd right. recommend doing like a sensory audit and you look at your gym or playing field and you go through the different senses. So you think, okay, visually... What's going on with the lighting? Is it that horrible strip blinky lighting? Um, Mm. Have you got loads of really colourful displays up? Have you got really bright, garish children? Like, what is going on with the visuals in the environment? Because you have to remember that as well as the busy background, you're soon going to have 30 kids running around, flying coloured objects everywhere. (laughs) It's going to get even more visually stimulating. Mm. Um, And the same with all the other senses, like what's the smell like? What's the noise like? So kind of go through and think, if this child is really sensitive, what could be a problem? Um, Mm. Then you've got... And also potentially talk, if you know, you know, a child's really sensitive, you chat to them, you know, what noises do you find really difficult? How do you make About physical education. Um, then in the moment, you've got kind of the kid that's just not coping at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess for them, I mean, it might be something simple like, can you switch the lights off? Um, something very mm. simple and immediate. Or if they're being overwhelmed by touch, um, can you kind of change activity slightly so it becomes less kind of contact-based or give them a bit more space? Mm. It might just be, you know, sending them on the errand somewhere. Please go and take this made-up note <laughs> that you quickly write to so-and-so yeah. to give them that break so they can leave the environment. Um it might be giving them a job, you know, can you just come over here and um, keep a track of the scores? So it could be something like that. I think what's really good is to, again, normalise it. So we're all sensory beings and we all, our thresholds fluctuate. So like when I wake up in the morning, I might be feeling really sluggish and I might have a coffee to wake me up quite Hmm. now I'm quite alert because I'm talking with you and then at night (laughs) time I'm just like I can't handle noise I've had kids screaming all afternoon dinner time Um, I'm really sensitive to noise and so I need a really quiet environment and Hmm. so all of us have sensory needs all of us get overwhelmed and all of us can get angry sad and mad and so actually having maybe a space where you have a kind of chill out zone, a few sensory toys, a beanbag, maybe slightly dimmer with a kind of tank canopy or something. And kids can go in there when they need to. Um, mm. And that can kind of normalise it. Or you do a kind of thumb checking at the start of the lesson, you know, who's feeling great, who's feeling awful. Let's kind of use the language of emotions, use the language of sensory and normalise yeah. it so it's not like we're all fine and it's just Bobby that has the issues because actually we all have these needs it's just some of us they're a bit more intense than others yeah so do you think there's I'm just thinking about that do you think there's a need to use more sensory language in physical education as in like how we're feeling in response to senses physically disabled I, def- I think it's really helpful um because it does affect us so much. And if you think about kind of emotional regulation and sensory regulation, they go hand in hand. Um, Mm. So if you think about right now, if you heard a little noise, you'd probably ignore it. 
if you're by yourself in a dark, spooky house <laughs> and you hear that noise, mm. you're going to freak out, aren't you? You're going to be like on yeah. high alert. Um, and so, yeah, just talking about how the senses affect our emotions and affect our bodies, because they do, when we're kind of on overwhelm or high alert, you know, our heart beats faster, our breathing's faster, our bodies respond. Mm. And when we're trying to relax and calm down, our bodies do the same thing. You know, you can't separate the senses from our physicality and our emotions. Um, and so mm. I think using the language of the senses is really helpful. And understanding things like proprioception, you get... You want me to explain what that is yeah. for the listeners? Um, so it's the sense of where our body is in space. So if I put my arm out and don't look at it, I know my arm's there because I have messages going from my hand through my nerves to my brain and back. Hmm. Some children don't have a very good proprioceptive sense and they're the ones that are fidgeting all the time. They're the ones that are really heavy-footed, tend to hold things too lightly, too hard, because they're trying to get those messages to their brain. Um, and PE is brilliant because you can do heavy work, you can do resistance work, and proprioception mm. is like the magic sense because kids that are really sleepy, it alerts them, and kids that are hyper, it regulates them. So it's really good to know about. Wow, that's amazing. That That's something I've learned. <laughs> Obviously, I, I've you know I've taught yeah. um, examination PE, and we talk about the receptors and appropriate reception and kind of, but I've never referred it to something that's a magical receptor that allows us to regulate. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. um, are there any? What, what's the feedback been like from the book so far? Obviously, it's out there. Some people have read it, and have, have you had much positive feedback? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, I've been really pleasantly surprised, really, by how it's been received. Um, yeah, we've had some universities are using it on their courses with trainee teachers. Um, some conferences have invited me to come and speak. Um, yeah, so it's had a really um, good response. I think there's one in law. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to kind of hearing how it's made that positive difference, really, um, in students' lives, mm. because teachers can tweak even a little thing can make a difference. And yeah. I think it can feel really overwhelming, can't it? Like, you need to make everything inclusive. I'm just game. Absolutely. So, I'm, you know, at Plymouth Marjon University, we're using it. We've adopted it. We've got our second year um, PE trainees going out on a four-week send setting placement in the new year. So it will be their go-to in terms of any physical education that they teach. If they need strategies, they'll be going to it. So so thank you for adding that to our community because your insight from your experience is, it is invaluable. Um, so, so thank you for putting it together um, and hopefully others will benefit from reading it as well. Um, on that note then, what would you encourage PE teachers to be doing in their practice um, or in their general lives? So I think the first thing is to try and understand the challenges. And we touched on that briefly, but just understanding that, yeah, PE is really complex um, and trying to learn from children and people that have the lived experience of these different needs and disabilities is really key because they're the real experts. Um, so Googling stuff, um, blogs that people have written, TikTok videos, listening to your young people. So that's the understanding. Another really important thing is preparation. So school 
is often very unpredictable and PE can be really unpredictable too. Um, and so I think just giving kind of kids a heads up about what's going to happen really helps kids who are autistic, have anxiety, or just children that like to know what's going to happen. We experienced this in my son. So on the Thursday, we got a letter home saying that year one were going swimming on the Monday. And we were really thrown because um, he has a lot of sensory issues and he hates kind of, you know, water being splashed in his face. He hates the smell of chlorine, um, the kind of, yeah, the noise of the swimming pool. And with a very short time frame, it was really hard to be able to make a plan and communicate it to the right staff. And although we tried, it went wrong. And he was made to have two showers. I went to... Um, and it all went wrong. And he said, he's never going to go swimming again. Um, fortunately, he has gone swimming since we patched it up. But that was just really unavoidable. Um, mm. Sorry, avoidable. Because if we'd been told a few weeks earlier about swimming, then we could have prevented it. So I think yeah. just kind of, you know, writing an email home to parents saying, this is the topic for the term. This is what's happening. Any concerns, get in touch. That could mm. be really helpful. Um, I think that's just good practice for for teachers in general isn't it like, a few yeah, really positive with, with special educational needs but just good practice you know everyone wants to know what they're learning in the context yeah yeah definitely um i think being aware of language is really important um so you have you know children who are dyslexic are going to be struggling potentially with um a lot of verbal language processing language as well as reading um mm. and we know a lot of autistic children also can have verbal processing difficulties so i've been in lessons where the teachers kind of you know you have to do this and then that and run here and do this and do that and then go <laughs> and then you kind of have the one child that just stood there watching everybody else desperately mm. hoping they can pick up cues from the other kids to know what they're doing and I think um, autistic kids in particular can find videos really helpful because it takes away um, some of those social interactions. If you're watching a video, the video is not asking anything of you. You can just watch it and you can right. re-watch it and re-watch it if you want. So being able to watch a video of a skill, of an activity, the child can see it happening in context in a much better way than just like a teacher and one child demonstrating. So I think things like thinking about how do you give instructions? Can you use visuals? Can you use videos? Not just verbal um, information is really challenging. Well, That's amazing. And I think we've briefly alluded to this before, but about that consistency, so them not liking differences all the time. So if every teacher in your department is doing the same thing, yeah. Then that's going to help with, you know, consistency as well, right? Yeah. And then when children have that consistency, it can lower their anxiety. The interesting thing is, of course, you're balancing different needs. So my son also has pathologies, which is a type of autism. And kids with PDA really love novelty. <laughs> Um, oh, and I know like some of your previous guests have been talking about making things fun and let's change it up. And so, you know, we've got a fine balance, haven't we, of making it interesting and novel, but being consistent. And so it might be that you have a few routines that are just really consistent every time. And then the element of choice is the novelty. So maybe if you have four different activities, you could keep one the same each time. 
maybe. Mm. And so the kid that likes the consistency can do that. And the other kids that love novelty can do that. Obviously not the whole mm. lesson, but maybe it's just five minute activity. You're kind of catering to both. Um, and you're helping people feel safe and engaged, which is really important. Let's try and do it as a community. I think it could be really overwhelming um, trying to figure all this out by yourself. And I think, you know, we're all learning. We're all in a very new environment of having so many children with so many needs in our mainstream schools. And mm. we're all learning. So I think reaching out to other people, a colleague or somebody um, through kind of an organisation or even like a Facebook group, just reaching out and saying, you know, I've got this yeah. issue. What do you think? Let's give it a go. And just experimenting, not being mm. afraid to try and fail and just actually that didn't work. Let's try the next thing. Let's see how we go. Yeah brilliant i um i got picked up this morning by a colleague of mine claire balford she won't mind me giving her a shout out but um we were in a lecture this morning and we were just putting some groups on the board for um for our our tutor meetings as as a as a team and um i turned to the box that was near the whiteboard and the first pen i picked there was a red pen right so i'm writing on the board with red pen and the first thing claire says when she came into the room was nate you can't be doing that <laughs> you know you shouldn't be using yeah, red or green yeah. pens on whiteboards so she, she rubbed it off and read it up and, and it's just things that simple small things that you often just i didn't even I, you know i know that's a thing yeah it wasn't me intentionally writing no. in red pen. It was just because I turned into the box and the red pen was there yeah. and, you know, I just wrote with the pen. But it just it just needs more thought and conscious planning and an understanding to do the small things and those marginal gains and those yeah. incremental steps add up to, to a better experience for all, I suppose. They do. And I think the planning's key because like you had the red pen not been there, you wouldn't have reached for it. And of course you reach for it when you're busy mm. and you're in the midst of teaching. But actually it's like yeah. at some point, you know, even if it's thinking, okay, I'm going to use this video clip I'm going to order in a different colour bibs or I'm going yeah. to try another racket. You know, it's the planning. Those five, ten minutes is not the planning earlier. So when you're midst of things and you're go, 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 you kind of make the choices that are inclusive rather than having to have this brain that's already busy <laughs> trying to remember yeah, yeah. all these inclusive things yeah. on top. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And we used it as an opportunity to role model good practice, obviously, with, yeah. <laughs> in front of our trainee <laughs> teachers. And I took one for the team on that oh, one. Um, but yeah, nobody, we're, we're all developing and no one will ever be perfect. So, um, Could you try to summarise <laughs> some of your key messages from today? Yes. So I think understand the challenges and that's just through learning and try and learn from um, children and people that experience these difficulties um, because they're the ones that can teach you the most. So understand the challenges, try and give choice, try and adapt and preparation um, where you can um, is really useful. So there'd be my few few little points. And, Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and um the book what's it called yes yeah, so it's called inclusive pe for send children and it's on amazon um and yes it's paperback ebook love you to read it leave a review and i hope it's useful to people as well
Amazing. It's certainly been a good uh, a good read for me so far, and um, and our trainees will make the most of it this year as well. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute privilege to listen to your experiences, your thoughts around inclusivity in PE, and um, I would invite anyone who's listened to the episode to to share their thoughts um, and reach out to Faith if you would like to to speak to her about anything. Um, inclusivity and MPE. Faith, thank you so much. Thanks, Nathan. I've really enjoyed it.